0: How many people have i met that say well don't don't say the arab spring it was the arab winter it was you know even the name itself bothers a lot of people because Mm -hmm. they you see i often ask those who argue this i say to them give me the uh, you know if i was supposed a hypothetical that in five years time by 2025 that this wave the third fourth fifth sixth wave whatever of the arab spring managed to create a new reality a reality where people are free are dignified, are equal, where they have their rights. Would we then look back at 2010, 2011 as being worth it or not? Would we have seen that price paid, the horrendous time between 2010 and 2020, as being worth then our children and their children living as free and equal human beings? I think that most people, most sane people and fair-minded people would say yes
1: assalamu alaikum legends we got a great podcast for you today but just before we begin quick reminder to hit the bell button and you subscribe get the notifications straight to your inbox inshallah again i was mentioning we always look at the subscriptions kind of stats and we see that many people haven't subscribed this too watch so Please uh, help this content get in front of more uh, eyeballs and hit that subscribe button. Let's try and get 500 subscribers from this video, inshallah. It's been working well. Alhamdulillah. Let us know if you've done it in the comments below. Finally, please consider subscribing and donating to Islam C. Five pounds a month to keep it going. Uh, Let's try and get 250 people giving five pounds a month. It's only 16p a day. So number one, subscribe and hit the bell button. Number two, hit like. And uh, give us a comment. Number three, click to donate. And number four, stay awesome. Asalaamu Alaikum, and welcome to today's uh, unscripted podcast. It's been 10 years, subhanAllah, since Arab Spring. Was it worth it? We've got two excellent guests today. We have Jalal Wirji, a political uh, activist and writer who's one of the leaders in the Al Nahda party in Tunisia, mashallah. And we have CEO and uh, founder of the Cordoba Foundation, Dr. Anasat Tekriti. Asalaamu Alaikum, gentlemen wa I hope you're all for joining us. Um the you know this week it's ten years since the um uh the toppling of Ben Ali of, of Tunisia, and obviously we all uh, know that it led to a cascade of you know um Arab dictators and regimes falling like dominoes and, and, and the revolutionary spirit that was um, termed the Arab Spring. So just for the benefit of the people at home, maybe perhaps maybe they were young, cause it's been 10 years already. What would you say is the the significance of this period known as the Arab Spring?
0: Um, if, if I'm allowed to, um, to start, I think that yeah. the very first point uh, that needs to be um, highlighted, when talking about the Arab Spring is the context within which it emerged. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the geographical context, the historical context, uh, all these, they actually culminate in uh, telling ha- what an extraordinary, uh, event it was, um, for the very first time in several generations, lifetimes, um, there's a mass movement that occurs against regimes, which had been around for decades and were, to be honest, seen to be going to be around for decades more. Um, yet, by a mere peaceful mass movement, not a military uh, a coup or an overthrow or an intervention from any uh, Western power or military uh, outside military source, uh, by merely demonstrating on the streets, en masse, and staying on the streets, uh, and uh, you know fighting or resisting uh, the regime's guns and firepower and attempts to force people uh, to go back home with uh, you know with with basically peaceful chance that those regimes happened to crumble in a matter of days literally which which was which was extraordinary, which was out, absolutely outstanding, something that no one, no one, let alone the regimes themselves or even their allies in, in the West, uh, expected to happen. So I would suggest that probably it was the context from which these uh, these on uh, mass demonstrations emerged, the peaceful nature and the, ma- and, the and, and the fact that these peaceful protests managed to bring down regimes that had been propped up, for decades mm. not just the, the people at the top but their entire families the entire structure of those uh, those those states so so, so that, that I think m- made it uh, quite the exceptional event
2: what, what uh, and, uh,
0: uh,
2: I can add to what uh, just Anas uh, mm. has said uh, that uh, it may be the main significance of uh, uh, what happened in 2010 2011 is a historic uh, historical moment in the uh, age of the arab uh, um, regime arab uh, region mm. and the arab uh, actually civilization and history uh, after uh, decades and decades of uh, oppressive regime dictatorship corrupted regime uh, f- failing and the failure total failure regimes Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, the uh, region suffered from uh, the 2010- uh, 2011 moments was a historical uh, real change uh, of, for the fa- of the face of the, that region uh, starting by Tunisia and it was not as, uh, accidental actually that uh, this was happening first in Tunisia. As uh, its civil society were were in that time, maybe the strongest in the region, and as well, uh, it was not accidental that um, uh, the uh, what happened in Tunisia sparked everywhere and uh, spread everywhere in the Arab uh, Mm. countries because. Uh, we always look that that region as one uh, one uh, one place that uh, what happened in any single country can affect uh, and has uh, impact on mm. every is, is another single country in that region.
1: Are you saying that just because uh, you're Tunisian?
2: No, 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 it's not about uh, Tunisia. And when I'm saying uh, saying this, I mean that even if Mm. it happened in Egypt or in Iraq or in uh, uh, Syria, it will affect Tunisia. So it's a... uh, uh, a, 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 a a unity that will uh, be f- affected uh, uh, with whatever yeah. happened in any single uh, country and that's what exactly happened in uh, uh, the uh, arab uh, region uh, in 2011 two, 2010 2011 yeah. and i think it 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 will uh, be uh, continue in the future. I myself uh, wrote uh, uh, an article that will be published tomorrow uh, speaking about the third uh, wave of uh, Arab Spring. Mm. We uh, uh, already seen uh, two uh, waves. One started in Tunisia in 2010, 2011, and the second started in uh, uh, Iraq, Algeria, Sudan, and Lebanon in 2018 till now, and it's still going on. And I think 2021 Mm. will uh, resume with, I think, uh, more uh, even, we can say, uh, uh,
0: aggressive uh, wave of uh, a new Arab Spring. But by the way, I mean, your question, Salman, isn't out of place. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, if I was in Jalal's place, I would be extremely proud uh, that my country, my homeland, was where this whole, all started. I think that's, that's you know, the, the historic nature of this advent. Is um, is something that needs to be really analysed and dissected. For instance, one of the questions that I was often asked mm. back then, you know, between twenty eleven and twenty thirteen, when when the real impact of the Arab Spring took foot, um, I was often asked about why, uh, why, you know, why mm. the, why did the Arab Spring happen? For what reason? Was it because of uh, people who were in poverty? Was it because uh, they were hungry? I mean, what was it exactly? And the actual fact, if you trace it back, the roots of the Arab spring started when an unknown, totally anonymous, um, fruit vendor Mm. in Tunis, when he was, he was trying to sell, you know, his stock of the day just to basically buy himself and his mother, some bread and uh, something to, to eat that day. And the policewoman came to him and ordered him away from the place he was. When he objected, she, she slapped him. It wasn't that, yeah, I mean, he was, um, he, he was doing a trade. He was, he was selling what he had. He was in a way he was okay with living Mm. as a poor man, but what he didn't tolerate was being slapped and that incident is a metaphor to the relations between the Arab regimes and the Arab people of that time and therefore that uh, muhammad al-Bu'Azizi found no way to express his anger his rage his frustration his opposition but mm. to uh, set himself alight and that began the wave of the arab spring in tunisia after which and due to, this, to the to the conditions that jalal mentioned it because of the the, the sort of shared uh, commonality of, of culture, of uh, language, of background, of oppression, mm. all of these, it, it was like a domino effect immediately after. In fact, before um, you know, the Tunisian revolution actually came to fruition, Egypt had already kicked off. And then yeah. Syria, and then Yemen, and then Libya, and so on and so forth. So it was like a domino effect. And that was why, that was why, the forces opposed to the Arab Spring were so, um, so oppressive, were so barbaric in trying to bring this to an end because it was just a matter of time when this wave of change was going to reach every single shore.
1: Mm. You mentioned something, Dr. Anas, um, that they caused the regimes to crumble, but someone might ask, what, what is it about a peaceful protest that can overthrow a regime? How how um, does that how what's the mechanics I, I, behind that? I
0: I, th- I think this is something quite quite fascinating. the f- mm. The fact is, and uh, I'm I'm a firm believer that um, peaceful protests are one of the most potent weapons that nations have, and that to be honest don't have um, a counter. You you can't contend with hundreds of thousands of civilians mm. just basi- basically marching down the main street, you can't do anything about it. You can probably kill a few dozen, maybe even a few hundred, maybe if you're a totally barbaric regime, maybe even a few thousand, but then what? The,
2: and and then I can, I can add if you uh, mm-hmm. let me. If I can
0: just finish yeah. this yes, point, yes, if yes, I yes. may. The fact is that these regimes, these regimes would love for the people to actually carry arms they would mm. love for them to carry arms. You know why? Because then it would become a symmetrical confrontation. And with that, obviously, the one with the bigger gun or the more guns would be would be victorious. However, being peaceful and unarmed with whatever army you have is an asymmetrical confrontation. A confrontation. Mm. And armies are simply not trained to fight people who don't fight back, who don't fire back. They don't have that kind of ability and ultimately speaking most arab armies regardless of the commanders but most arab armies are consisting of you know people who come from families uh, local families and local uh you know tribes and the such and that's where you
1: get people you who know, start defecting then
0: yeah they, you, you you refusing to follow to orders. their own cousins and
2: their own mm. and their own relatives and neighbors yes and 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 we must remember uh for a moment that uh, For decades and for years and decades that these oppressive regime uh, over the Arab world portrayed every uh, opponent, Mm. every dissident as a terrorist, as yep. uh, and the uh, claiming uh, to the international uh, power that they are facing and they are mm-hmm. uh, in a war against terrorism and against terrorists and portrayed every opponent and every opposition as it's uh, terrorism and uh, they are extremists and uh, they must be helped actually by the uh, uh, international power. To uh, uh, to uh to uh, to to uh, try to control these mm-hmm. uh, opposition and these opponent but suddenly in 2010 2011 uh, people disarmed this regime of this uh, uh, allegation that uh, mm-hmm. the opposition's and the opponents are extremists and they took to the street unarmed with the uh, with the, uh, protesting mm. and they just have their voices to uh, raise against these oppressive regime and uh, that's a historic moment mm. as um, uh, uh, anna said and it's really uh, maybe uh, something that uh, needs to be uh, stopped at and uh, uh, studied very well because it's uh, uh, change it changed the uh, face of uh, the that region forever i think mm.
1: you mentioned that uh, tunisia has a has a, had a strong civil society and that, war, that was something that contributed yes. to you know the 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 melting pot that led to the um, conditions, you know, that, uh, that precipitated this this revolution. Would you say that is something that differentiates some of those countries that didn't have any or much of an uprising? Say, like the Arab Gulf regimes, Saudi Arabia, for example. Is 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 that is that a fair assessment?
2: Yes, yes. I think I think it's true. And uh, if you uh, even uh, compare Tunisia, and you can say as mm. well uh, Egypt. Uh, in some points that they've got uh, a minimum of uh, uh, civil society that uh, they are free to move and uh, free and resist even mm. the uh, uh oppressive regime for decades and for years Uh, And uh, that's uh, helped them in Tunisia and Egypt to uh, uh, make their point uh, uh, first uh, against this regime because uh, to be honest with you, you cannot see that a, a society without uh, a minimum of civil society can mm. uh, face this uh, bloody and oppressive regime. Uh, uh, and uh, in Tunisia, uh, the solicitors, the union, the students, the uh, uh, even the elite uh, and the uh, human rights activists are. Uh, uh, Trying for, were trying for years and years, and many of them sentenced to prison, but uh, whenever they found the uh, opportunity, they took to the street and they protest, and mm-hmm. uh, they've been uh, supported, actually, as well, by uh, uh, international uh, human rights organizations, civil uh, uh, rights organization, and that helped them, honestly, to uh, uh, make their case uh, stronger and stronger with mm. years.
1: Dr. Anis, you mentioned that, you mentioned this phrase, the forces that were against the Arab spring, who yeah. would you, who would you regard those as?
0: Well, essentially there are the regimes of the region. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine, <clears throat> imagine being at the head of a regime in one of the Gulf States, for instance, or one of the neighboring countries, um, and seeing what's happening next door and seeing what's happening to the heads of those regimes who were sitting only a few days ago, Mm. who were sitting mighty and powerful and in total command, and then being totally toppled, uh, often humiliated, such as in the case of al-Qaddafi, for instance, uh, or forced out uh, before things turn ugly, such as in the case of Mubarak and bin Ali. and and you know uh, I, it, you you could imagine how they would do everything in their mm. power in order to stem that kind of wave. Um, so I would say that the first and foremost were the um, the, the neighboring regimes, the regimes of the mm. the, the regime of the, the region, and particularly um, uh, the Arab the Arabian Peninsula. Um, the what about fer- forces, further afield? I, uh, well further afield I, I'd say obviously the the dominant Western powers felt like this was going to get out of control um, when Tunis happened it was it took everyone by surprise Egypt was uh, sudden and no one expected things to unfold and unravel so quickly um, so by then, I think that the Western powers had uh, sort of made a, a decision that mm-hmm. things would not be allowed to flow as they were, from one country to another, from one nation to another. Basically, nations were corresponding with each other, telling them, do this and don't do that. You know, this is where you have to sit and protest and hold vigil. This is, these are the kinds of, of, uh, of, of placards that you need to hold up this is what you need to be careful about when there is a power outage enforced Mm. by the regime or when they cut off the internet or when they do this or that or when the media turns against you this is what you need to do so it was merely a matter of time before this wave reached the shores of virtually every single country because the conditions were the same like i said Mm. the story of muhammad al-bu'azizi was a metaphor of nations that for decades long, probably an entire century, felt a deep sense of humiliation, of absolute marginalization, no sense of ownership of their own lands, no Mm -hmm. sense of of control over their own destiny. So this was shared amongst every single Arab country. And it was just a matter of time before this wave reached everywhere. But imagine, imagine someone sitting at the at the head of the French state or the British state or or the American uh, state and only a few weeks ago I'd signed long-term contracts whether it be about energy whether it be about oil whether it be about, uh, it be about trade or whether whatever it was and all of a sudden the very same person I had just signed this contract with in hope, that thousands upon probably tens of thousands of my workers would be working in factories and I would be getting millions and millions and millions of profits. Mm. All of a sudden, that person is no longer there. So what's going to happen to the new, to to the to the recently signed contract? What's going to happen to, you know, unfortunately, the biggest problem of, of the Arab region, or the, this region we call the MENA region, the Middle East and North Africa. The biggest problem, you know, whilst yes, it is the regimes that's, that, that, that sit um, upon you know the, the, the breaths of the Arab people, but actually it's the, the Western and eastern powerful powers that back them, that prop them, that give them the, the legitimacy that they don't have internally. So once once you know the, 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 the local, the, the locals, the nations rise, the West was left in, in a very difficult decision. and ultimately speaking, They knew that they needed to intervene, at least so that the outcome isn't to their detriment. How how did they intervene? Well, we saw how, for instance, the Americans intervened in Libya. We saw how Mm. what happened in Syria, the total sullying of the Syrian revolution. And to be perfectly honest, the ultimate winner of that, although the international community for years, up until 2014, 2015, posed as though they are in support of the Syrian revolution, but it, it 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 became extremely clear mm. that it was hoped that Syria would become a proxy war for for, for various agendas, whether it mm. be Israeli agenda or the American agenda or the local agenda, the Iranian or Russian agenda, or the such. And therefore, the the revolution itself, which I still call a revolution, but unfortunately, it's now called uh, a civil war or such, as though mm. it's an it's an equal or a war of parity. Um, it was sullied, it was uh, ruined, and therefore anyone who hears about Syria right now just doesn't want any mention of it. Regardless of the fact that the sacrifice offered by millions of Syrians, whether still in Syria or whether those who were forced out of Syria, is is something that needs to be really um, revered in Mm. history books.
1: Is what you've heard so far interesting? Give the video a like and a comment to get more people to see it. Also, don't forget our target of 250 people giving £5 a month to help help Islam Trinity keep going. Speaking of history books, I mean, if somebody comes along in decades time or even today and says, look, you know, this Arab Spring, look at Syria, Libya, Yemen even. Was it all worth it with all the blood spilt?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's worth it. And I think, as I said before, uh, the Arab Spring never ended. Mm-hmm. And it will continue uh, with its third wave, because what uh, what the, the region and the people suffered uh, for decades from this oppressive regime and turned this country to be a uh, wide prison. Mm. that uh, imprisoned all the uh, people in there. Uh, It's uh, something worth to get rid of whatever the prices. And people paid a huge price for uh, for these uh, moments to Mm -hmm. arrive, because what happened in uh, 2010-2011 is a point of culmination of uh, uh, struggle of people for decades and decades, people uh, died in prisons, uh, killed in street, uh, and mm. uh, intimidated in every way. So uh, it's worth uh, to uh, uh, t- take to the street and to defend the rights and the human rights and the uh, the uh, the future of the uh, new generation and uh, uh, of course uh, we will uh, uh, something that uh, may be um, uh, play the real obstacle in face of the people who uh, want to want to change and want to uh, make their f- their future better, mm. is I think the international order. International order is still uh, not for the benefit and the interest of the uh, people, but uh, for the interest and the benefit of these regime. And that's why, when uh, the revolution took place in Egypt, especially because it's a key country. Uh, the U.S. intervened uh, directly and immediately, uh, without any hesitation. And for the uh, the first year of the revolution, uh, the, ambassador, uh, the U.S. ambassador sat with the uh, chief of staff of the army, uh, Abdel Fattah Sisi, at that time, every week for one year to plan to uh, overthrow uh, uh, Mohamed Morsi as. Even though, even though it's a uh, uh, democratically elected uh, president, but unfortunately, uh, the uh, international power they don't look at these uh, change, uh, 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 uh are for the benefit of the people mm-hmm. and for the benefit of the stability of that uh, region. But they uh, so it as. Uh, the Islamists came to power, so they must be uh, deposed and must be overthrown. And that's why when uh, Mohamed Morsi has been elected, uh, Barack Obama, which is from the Democratic Party in that time, and the president of the U.S. said uh, when uh, Morsi declared as the uh, winner of the presidency in Egypt, that uh, Egypt is no longer
0: a close friend to US. I think that there's, I mean, the question that you asked, Salman. I've been mm. asked, I don't know, dozens of times. Playing the case.
1: devil's advocate, by the way. I know that it's a I flawed know, question, but, but no just and it's, for the, it's a question, it's a question
0: that goes through many people's yeah. minds, by the way. And myself and Jalal, we hear these yeah. questions, you know, every single time we talk about the Arab Spring. In fact. How many people have I met that say, well, don't, don't say the Arab Spring, it was the Arab Winter. It was, you know, even the name itself bothers a lot of people because mm-hmm. they, you see, I often ask those who argue this, I say to them, give me the, uh, you know, if I was supposed a hypothetical, that in five years time, by 2025, that this wave, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth wave, whatever of the Arab Spring, managed to create a new reality, a reality where people are free, are dignified, are equal, where they have their rights. Would we then look back at 2010, 2011 as being worth it or not? Would we have seen that price paid, the horrendous time between 2010 and 2020, as being worth then our children and their children living as free and equal human beings? I think that most people, most sane people and fair-minded people would say, yes, also, we need to pay attention to a historical fact, and since there is this theory that history goes round in circles, you know, every now and then, when a certain nation or a certain people allow themselves to be subjugated, allow oppression to rule, or allow injustice to dominate, after so long, someone, some generation will have to pay the price for this.
1: Mm. This
0: doesn't come. It's not just me s- staying quiet and letting my rights uh, be violated every now and then by by the ruler. It's not just that. It's the fact that my children will be paying the price, their children will be paying the price. In order to change, there needs to be a a generation that sacrifices. And I personally see that within this historical reading of how world events turn, and this is not just for Muslims, Mm. it's not just for Arabs, this is how human nations evolve and move on there is a generation that comes and needs to pay the price the penance
1: for the, al- gen-
0: the, the decades and generations of mm. uh, allowing oppression to rule and yeah. as well
2: uh, and as well we must take into consideration that people when people took to the street in tunisia and everywhere in the arab world no one Tell, t- t- told them to uh, to, t- to take to the street. They uh, went to took to the street spontaneously, yeah. and they are ready to pay that price. Until now, I think, uh, because uh, the uh, that's why we said that it's a historical moment because no one, no movement, no political party planned for that m- moment to be uh, taken place. But uh, people took the, spirit to the street spontaneously. They paid the price, and they are still, I think, uh, ready to pay the price because they already been killed, they already been oppressed for years and years and decades or and decayed
1: so they have nothing to lose i think that's why uh, that moment took place yes well, i mean our sheikh used to sheikh Aitham, you know he used to he used to point out that this question is not even a rational one it's not like uh, some people sat down and yeah. said let's do this that's because right. we know yeah, what's exactly, exactly what's going to be in the future and you exactly. can't even in a fiqh sense you can't get you know judge someone ba- if they've been oppressed for so long and they've just reached a limit and they have to explode yeah. You know? um, uh, Ustad Jalal you mentioned um, That thing about The US uh, ambassador Someone's meeting C.C. on a regular basis Is this something kind of documented That they had a hand in the overthrow of Morsi Or is this kind of like Are we looking at maybe people no, no, can no, say it's, Conspiracies it's, it's, and that kind of stuff it's,
2: docu- it's documented and witnessed By lots of uh, uh, Witnesses uh, mm. In that uh, era Who played the role Political roles and even uh, some close to Sisi himself, who is now the president of uh, Egypt, uh, mm-hmm. they uh, witnessed that uh, Sisi uh, was uh, sitting uh, every uh, sit for uh, every uh, every month with the um, U.S. ambassador planning for the uh, overthrow of uh, Mohammed Morsi, and even uh, uh, the uh, uh, another another guy who is the ambassador in uh, Libya as well. He sa- he said he uh, wrote that in his uh, uh, bi- bi- biography. Who said that uh, we planned uh, for uh, the overthrow of Morsi, but we we didn't plan for him to be in prison, but to be in house arrest. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, they didn't uh, 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 play by what uh, we have agreed, and uh, Mohammed. As well, he uh, uh, said that, so it's a documented thing, and uh, uh, nothing now can uh, put these uh, facts into
0: question anymore. By the way, um, one of the most telling impacts of the Arab Spring, not on the region itself, but on the West, is uh, something which is quite interesting, and I would uh, urge people to pay attention to that. If you all recall, those of us, you know, probably old enough—that uh, excludes you, Salman—old uh, enough to recall those uh, those days, um, you'll remember that in almost at the same time as the Egyptian revolution was taking place as people were sitting in Tahrir Square, as the TV stations from around the world were converging on Tahrir Square and showing the signs of people of all ages, of all genders, of all backgrounds, of all religions coming together and sitting there in opposition of of their government, immediately started a similar movement in several capitals in the West. And we had the Occupy Movement. Mm. If you recall that Occupy Movement stayed for about three to four years thereafter. And I personally, went to washington dc and passed by uh, um a, a particular square where the occupy movement had sat and there were placards saying this is our tahrir square <laughs> and our husni mubarak are the banks who stole our money for instance mm-hmm. and our tyrant is so and so and so so everyone saw the importance the symbolic importance of what was happening in the Arab Spring, and all of a sudden, the Arab world, which was seen then through the uh, uh, writings and observations of Orientalists across generations, seen as a very dark, regressive, backward, uh, uncivilized Mm -hmm. sort of region and people who, as one person put it, um, produced nothing for the world apart from uh, petrol and terrorism. Nothing else. That's all that came from that particular region. It's sort of a cursed, uh, downtrodden, good-for-nothing kind of region. All of a sudden, it became an inspiration to the world. These people, whom we saw as regressive, backward, uncivilized, uh, uh, unread, all of a sudden showed that they expressed the pinnacle, an example of political Mm -hmm. opposition in a way that would actually topple yeah. regimes supported by the most powerful armies and the most powerful states in, in the entire world without shooting a single bullet. In fact, them, their bare chests, receiving bullets from the state. But it, it, it was absolutely incredible. And the other thing is that I think one of the, the greatest gains that I, for instance, and this might sound a little bit selfish, but I, as a political analyst who lives in the UK, who has lived in the UK almost all my life, it gave me, um, it it affirmed my conviction that when, unfortunately, my country and European countries in the United States, when they proclaim democracy, they only proclaim democracy for themselves. We don't mean democracy for everyone. Mm. And certainly, we don't mean democracy for um, for that particular region where there are so many strategic and energy um, interests and ideological crossovers. You know that that, that, that people th- feel threatened by. So, the call for democracy. I I would happily stand up now in any parliament, and I have, um, and declare. Um, our proclamation of democracy as being entirely hypocritical based on the track record that the entire world saw, that these so-called democracies allowed a fledgling democracy in Egypt to be crushed by a military coup and thousands of innocent protesters being slaughtered in one single day, yet do nothing whatsoever, nothing whatsoever. That to me is a damnation. Of that proclamation
1: of democracy Someone might say um, Like you mentioned The whole orientalist discourse About Arabs and Muslims And the Orient That these people are Kind of just disposed To despotism And being ruled by dictators And they can't do democracy Uh, What do you say to that When you look at Syria, Libya, Egypt now Yemen um, Are these people right?
2: I think I, I think uh, yeah, uh, uh, the, the, um, what happened there, honestly, as I mentioned, that mm. the uh, what what played against the will of people, uh, even though they took to the street and they tried to defend their rights, uh, what played against them is the will of the international power the international power take, took the side of the oppressive regime and they helped them. And even in some successful, mm-hmm. uh, uh, partly successful uh, cases like Egypt, uh, the revolution succeeded, they uh, held the uh, democratic free election, a new uh, president has been elected, but in that time, the Western, especially U.S., intervened and toppled and helped the toppling of that uh, uh, newly uh, elected uh, mm. president. And uh, the, the case of Egypt, you can, uh, you can widen it to the other uh, country as well, even in uh, Tunisia. Mm-hmm. In the uh, first few weeks of the uh, protest against Ben Ali regime, France was sending uh, 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 arms to the Ben Ali regime to face the protest. even uh, they were uh, uh, peaceful, mm-hmm. but uh, they are trying to t- take the side of and support and back this uh, oppressive regime. And uh, uh, I want to point actually what happened in the U.S. in the last few uh, days. Uh, supporter of Donald Trump, they took to the street and they uh, swarmed the uh, 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 the building of the Congress. Uh, now uh, Donald Trump has been uh, uh, against the, has uh, the, uh, been uh, actually uh, impeached, impeached in- by the House of... Uh, a representative, and who will be impeached by the uh, Congress, uh, and uh, the whole elite of the uh, U.S. Uh, raised against these uh, kind of uh, uh, movement. But when it comes to uh, Egypt, as uh, Anna said, uh, a, a freely, democratically elected president toppled from its uh, post. Then people took the street peacefully. They've been murdered with hundreds and hundreds. But in that time, it's a democratic party who rule the U.S., which is Barack Obama, and he didn't do anything. Even he didn't condemn what happened there. So actually. it's not about these people in the Arab country that they are uh, uh, with the culture of despot, uh, the despots and uh, dictatorship. When you uh, saw what happened in Algeria for about one and a, year, uh, one and a half year of protesting every single uh, Friday for about uh, 80, uh, 80 or more weeks, without with million million took to the street every uh, every friday but uh, no one has been killed for about uh, 85 weeks and that shows that people are civilian and they are ready to uh, 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 defend their rights without uh, committing any uh, crimes or violence Uh, uh, maybe even in the western uh, you cannot guarantee that millions uh, took to the street mm. for uh, every week for even uh, one month only and they, they didn't vandalize and uh, they don't uh, uh, commit violence and uh, uh, atrocity even against the uh, well, police it happens
1: every friday and saturday night anyway
0: yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah I, I mean i i agree with jalal i think that um, mm. you know if anything if anything The Arab Spring came to disprove um, the whole image that was constructed of the Arab people. And uh, if anything, if anything came out of this, then, and uh, yes, I mean, Jalal points to what happened last week in Washington, Um, what has been happening now for almost two years in France, the Yellow Vest demonstrations um what happens uh, you know what happened regarding the the, the the brexit demonstrations here in in the uk and the such i mm-hmm. mean uh to be perfectly honest one would see those demonstrations that occurred in tunisia and in egypt particularly as well as in every single every other country in the that the, the arab spring touched um you'd actually reverse that image and say that actually it's the arab people who were the ones who demonstrated peacefully who were mm-hmm. civil i mean for instance i mean an example that unfortunately today we we have almost forgotten simply amid, amid the tragedy of yemen i mean yemen i i know yemen i uh, you know i got married in yemen i was i used to visit yemen once or twice every single year i have very strong friendships and relationships in yemen every single male from the age of five carries a dagger i'm pretty sure that those of you who've seen yemenis in yeah. traditional dress every single yemeni carries a dagger guns are abound Uh, there there's no limit to carrying guns yet when the arab spring came to yemen there would be a cordon that was imposed by the protesters and the organizers and at that cordon every single person who would enter would surrender their dagger or would surrender their arm and anyone who knows anything about yemen and yemenis would know that this dagger represents one's honor You do not give away your honor. You do not give your honor to anyone else. Yet each and every person would abide by that to the T. And the a a society where everyone is armed, when no one was killed, it just goes to show that actually, Mm. uh, you know, I think that we need to really trawl through the. uh, the orientalists' essays about that the people of those region and and really do a long, long, long revisionist uh, troll. <laughs> yeah, indeed.
1: W- w- one thing which is common that a lo- amongst a lot, a lot of protesters was the um, the age, the average age you can say of the uh, and the m- methods of communication, Facebook, Twitter, social media, that kind of stuff. Um, and many have said that that and that 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 demographic and those Wasail al ittisal, yeah, the yeah. you know the whole the modes uh, of communication, communication and and phones and and smartphones and that kind of stuff. They said that that was you know key to this this Arab Spring, the revolutions one after the other, and I couldn't help notice that. You know, some of the the, the, the biggest uh, centers of cyber security now <laughs> happen to be places like the UAE and Gulf uh, kind yeah. of uh, monarchies. Is there a connection yeah. there or am I kind of reading too much into this?
2: Uh, of course, uh, I think the social media played the key role. in mm. Helping the uh, protest to uh, to uh, be reached by uh, millions and millions uh, mm. in the country and outside the country. If, if I speak about Tunisia, for example. Uh, we as Tunisian uh, in that time played uh, living outside as refugee political refugees, mm. played the key role in uh, helping uh, uh, the uh, protest uh, inside because uh, no uh, coverage uh, in media coverage inside, so we helped by uh, uh, taking their uh, clips and video and uh, their uh, uh, demand mm. to the international media, Al Jazeera, Al uh, BBC, and even myself. I spoke a lot. Sometimes I uh, I um, uh i involved in about uh, 10, 10, 10 interviews mm-hmm. every day uh, for a few weeks uh, without stopping uh, uh and explaining the case of these people who are, who took to the street in Tunisia, mm. and I think we uh, the social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, the media played a key role, uh, honestly, in that. And that's why, as you mentioned, uh, now uh, some uh, uh, regime who are uh, uh, considered as anti-revolution
1: uh, mm.
2: player like united arab emirates try to uh uh silence these social media and these uh, uh key uh, key uh, let's say key uh, key fact in in uh, uh, motivating people uh, and help them uh, uh, making their voice
0: heard mm.
1: uh,
0: uh, you know it's um it's quite uh, quite fascinating. Um, I agree. I mean, not only did the social media play a role, there was also uh, for, for those on the ground, Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera played a pivotal role in, and in fact, um, I, I recall several uh, regimes, several people who were opposed to the Arab Spring saying that it's all Al Jazeera's fault because they were the ones who actually facilitated all the you know, the voices of the people on the ground and in the streets and the such, and, and, and opened up new platforms in order to mm. allow for the Egyptians to speak and the Tunisians to speak and the such, it also signaled a huge monumental shift in terms of something that a, up until then was regarded as professional media standards. If you would go to the BBC, for instance, with an image or a clip, they would say, well, we can't use this because it's unverified. But what Al Jazeera did was actually say, you know what? Every single person carrying a mobile phone, carrying a camera, for us, we will regard them as being a correspondent. And their coverage and the images that they send us will be accredited as being worthy of being published. Mm. With that, everyone, including the BBC and CNN, said, well, we can't be out of this game. (laughs) We can't lose out because Al Jazeera is bringing images from inside within these protests Mm. and we're not being able to access those places so they also let go of those you know extremely lofty standards of media professionalism as they called it and allowed clips allowed citizen journalism to be part of of their coverage and that's a very charitable reading
1: of 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 the bbc's uh, (laughs) intentions
0: yeah what can i say i'm trying to be good here Uh, but but yeah i mean it's And that's why when people ask about the arab spring Mm. unfortunately because of people's tendencies to um, be moved by bad news and to respond to negative images more than they do to positives but actually if we took a fair look at that entire advent from the contextual point of view to the advent and why it happened to what happened and occurred in order to topple the regimes to the aftermath i think that we would see that In our lifetimes, it is arguable that there has never been a more telling, more monumental, more um, reality changing and shifting event than the Arab Spring.
1: Mm. Yeah, indeed. Sorry to button again, just a reminder to hit the subscribe button and help Psalm 26 keep going with the £5 a month donation. I mean, I I was... I was gonna ask this question, but I didn't know how to say it without laughing and keep a straight face. But <laughs> why, are, so why are Western powers afraid of democracy so much? Uh, if they I themselves think, uh, purport to be dem- democracies. Uh, I
2: think part of, part of it is a catch of Orientalism. I think Uh uh, uh, the Western, I think, uh, see especially the uh, main forces uh, who are uh, active and uh, represent, actually, the main uh, uh, Arab region, which is, for example, the Islamists. The Western still look at them as they are uh, either extremists or uh, against their interests, so they are not happy to see them in power. Mm. Uh, either they see them part, marginal in, uh, in uh, participating in power or uh, out of the power totally. And that's what happened actually in uh, Algeria, in uh, Morocco, in uh, Tunisia now. Uh, they are uh, saying that they are happy to see the Islamist uh, part of the... Uh, part of these uh, uh, governments but they are not ready at all and uh, i uh, hear more than an ambassador in tunisia who said that uh, they are not ready to see the islamists leading the mm. country this country uh, uh, and that's uh, totally against the uh, democracy because uh, either you accept that uh, there, there is a uh, free democratic election. Whoever is being elected uh, have the right to rule, or uh, you are against democracy. They are not saying that, but uh, they are trying to put pressure mm. in the first place uh, 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 on Islamist not to participate. Uh, Fully in the in the uh, election, or they put pressure on them not to lead the country by themselves, but uh, uh, sharing the power with others, and it's happening right now in Tunisia, Algeria, and many other uh, Morocco and many other countries. So, uh, to be honest with you, I can say that uh, uh, the international order. Till now, it's not uh, in favor of the uh, real uh, social and political power in our uh, region uh, to uh, uh, rule and to uh, express the will of uh, people. Uh, Just
0: adding to what Jalal said, I think that there is, um, regardless of the passage of time, but um, the West still sees the MENA region, through um, colonial uh, spectacles. And unfortunately, it reads the region through its set of interests and fails to understand the mood and the trend of people. Um, And whether we like it or not, you know, this is now, it's not even a secret anymore. It's not even unknown or unheard of. Every single time, and I say bar none, every single, 100% of times, when any Arab country has a free and fair and transparent democratic elections, ultimately, invariably, they bring the Islamists to power. Mm. It's happened in Gaza when they went to them, they made the horrendous mistake of allowing election to go through, and more than 60% of people voted for Hamas. Mm. against all the expectations in the polls of the West, who thought that Hamas would only garner something like 30 to 35% at most. And it happened again during the Arab Spring at every juncture of every single elections. <clears throat> in Egypt, within the scope of you know, around two years where Egypt was free, those golden years of <laughs> Egypt modern history, there were more than eight elections that happened on various levels every single elections that took place that were free and fair, every single election brought Islamists to power. That is something that the West mm-hmm. basically refused to acknowledge, simply because it can only see the MENA region through its collection of interests, rather than through the culture, the heritage, the mood, the mode of people. And this, by the way, it's, it's, it's it might sound uh, odd, but it's not. it doesn't mean that or 70% of the Arab streets uh, streets are, let's say, pro-Muslim Brotherhood, or pro-Islamism, or the such. It's because they they have been through so much corruption and so much oppression, and with all their differences with the Islamic movement, yet they acknowledge that the Islamic movement generally aren't corrupt, and generally do not oppress others.
1: They fear some higher power. (laughs) Well, that,
0: and <laughs> yeah. and and this is something that needs to be yeah. acknowledged. And once we come to that, and mm. it, it saddens me because I know that the more I say this, mm. and stating this particular fact that to me is is quite evident through facts, not just by assumption or, or just some sort of hypothetical, um, unfortunately makes Western uh, decision makers more uh, stringent about not allowing that region uh, full democracy.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned the co- kind of colonial impulses because one of the, one of the other, uh, alongside the the impulse to dominate, is the impulse to civilize and to fashion yeah. the, uh, the 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 inferior race, people, whatever, in the image of the master, the the kind of the, the white supremacist standard of liberalism and and secularism and and Enlightenment ideals and so forth. Um, Do you think this is something that is happening or is in danger of happening in places like Tunisia, for example, where, I mean, Tunisia is one of the, the, probably the only example when, where after the Arab Spring so far, they've transitioned from one person being in charge to lots of people being in charge uh, and having a multi-party system and so forth that you know i mean i, I recall one of the, the the our editors was saying you know uh, has been following you know tunisian politics in particular for a while and, and you know debates about um things like polygamy and mirath and, and and inheritance laws and so forth you know um trying to uh change islamic well-known islamic norms and rulings and so forth from the sharia into something that is a bit more palatable for uh, for for the Western tastes and so forth, or or rather, um, setting as a standard for our values, our concretization of human rights and and uh, equality and justice and fairness and democracy, setting as a standard a Western or a Euro American kind of horizon of we want to look like that. Is this something that is happening in in, in Tunisia? Or, um, is there a possibility for genuine sharia-based, democratic, multi-party politics?
2: Uh, to be honest with you, it's, uh, the, the foreign policy of the Western is mm. controversial. For example, uh, they uh, are siding uh, with uh, Saudi Arabia, for example, cutting the, the hand of people and, uh, 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 let's say, practising hudud. Mm. without any reservation and they are uh, close friend to the western without any uh, problem and the same time when uh, uh, political parties or uh, political forces like even the party in tunisia is a moderate uh, political party they are trying to uh, adopt uh, modernization democratization uh, respecting the main uh uh, criteria of human rights and international law, but uh, they are not allowed to uh, to uh, be ruled uh, to be ruled in Tunisia, for example, by themselves or to have the majority in uh, Tunisia. So, uh, so it's uh, very controversial, and uh, I think many key factors playing a role in uh, in this, uh, not only. Uh, interests of the uh, these uh, Western country in terms of uh, oil gas and uh uh, the resources uh, in that region, but also as well, they are trying to uh, mm. uh, have impact on the culture of these uh, countries. For example, Tunisia, uh, now uh, many European countries, even the European Union itself, they uh, condition the support of Tunisia with, uh, for example, adapting uh, the uh, equality of uh, share uh, in the mirath uh, and other other things. So and uh, as well, uh, uh, acknowledge the right of uh, uh, homo- homosexual people. So it's something that they are trying to uh, use their support and their uh, uh, power to. Uh, uh, have influence on mm. changing and uh, uh, modify the culture of these uh, countries, especially when it comes to countries that they are uh, weak and they have limited resources. They are trying to help them, but uh, with a uh, poisonous support, if you mm. can say.
0: I think. I think that uh, Salman. I think that. Um it's uh it's actually quite dangerous of us to assume that in very fragile situations i mean the only example that we have still standing is tunisia Uh the only example that we still have from all of that we still have is tunisia and we're praying every single day that it's sustained it it stands it continues to stand I, i i think jalal who knows about tunisia far more than i obviously would agree with me that uh even those who are calling for the return and restoration of the ben ali regime are growing yeah there there are more calls and louder calls for bringing back the old regime Uh, so in such a fragile Mm. situation to then assume that um uh, an islamic party essentially or a, a political party with an islamic reference um can then push forward with legislating according to sharia I think is is naive to say the very best. Is naive to say the very best at this moment of time. What we want of um, of, of every single Arab country, I think, banan, banan, absolutely banan, is uh, states of justice. All we need now is justice. We need mm-hmm. equality. We need humanity. We need dignity. Yeah. We need human rights. Once those are established, and once they they really you know, to take hold and and become established and become unthreatened and become strong, then there could be an internal debate about the laws and regulations and legislations and Sharia or otherwise mm. and the such. People can have a civil debate without fear, without uh, being influenced by whether internal factors or outside uh, outside mm-hmm. factors, and then things will t- will take shape. At this moment of time to demand that, Wallahi, I want in a country where there is absolutely no right whatsoever, that I want the implementation of sharia, I think is folly. And it does sharia an incredible disservice.
1: Couldn't someone argue that what you just described is sharia?
0: I I would say it is. I personally would say it is. But what I'm saying is, uh, giving the examples that you mentioned, for Mm. instance, uh, what what, what Jalal uh, stated, I, I think In terms of putting be,
1: putting the most important things first so with a roadmap the to... Very,
0: the, the, the pillars mm. of any society that, that can then adopt sharia mm. is that people are free, that people have human rights, that people are independent, that the state is independent from foreign forces as well as internal forces to actually have this kind of di- debate and dialogue away, away from yeah. any kind of
1: uh, you know, enforcement or, or compulsion. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just quickly, I'll get get your um, your views on wh- whether or not President Biden will make a difference to President Trump when it comes to um, the flourishing of freer societies, democracies in the Muslim world. Do you think it will make a difference or, or not?
2: To be honest with you, when uh, the name of Biden and the Democratic Party uh, mentioned in front of me, I uh, straight away remember uh, Barack Obama, the administration Mm. of Barack Obama. and that time, uh, the Arab Spring took place. And we didn't see uh, an encouraging attitude uh, uh, from uh, the uh, Barack Obama administration towards the... uh, uh, will of people to change in the arab world even though when he Mm. came to power in the first uh, mandate he uh, said that we learned a lot from uh, 9 11 and we uh, are not supporting anymore the oppressive regime but uh, straight away after uh, the will of people um, started to be represented uh, in uh, in uh, free democratic election in Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, Egypt especially. Uh, Barack Obama himself, and I uh, uh, say it again, he said in the day of the elec- uh, election of Morsi as a president that Egypt mm. is not a close friend
0: to U.S. anymore yeah i I totally agree i think that those uh, relying on the united states and whoever is sitting in the oval office to uh, radically change realities on the ground is is just basically uh, Mm. fantasizing about something which is not even worthy of being a fantasy Um, very little will change Uh, what will change is the language and what will change and by the way this i i i don't shy away from saying trump uh, with his tremendous, tremendous faults that uh, that belie anyone's uh, you know ability to comprehend um, actually brought us one good thing, and that is he spoke what he thought. Mm. He said what he thought. And that was something that was quite unique in the case of the United States. And I think that most people today want someone to actually stand up and say, you know what, I don't care about human rights. I care about mm. our contracts and money i think that's it's good for a president to say something like that you know when jamal khashoggi for instance was assassinated yeah. and when uh, uh uh trump was arguing against the, those calls to sanction the, the saudi arabia he he put it very simply very clearly and very unequivocally he said listen i'm not gonna let go of 500 billion dollars of, of <laughs> contracts so that the russians can get in that would be silly and stupid that is essentially what every single american president thinks mm-hmm. but no american president up until then had actually dared said it so i'd rather than you know talk to people about democracy and human rights i'd rather someone you know actually speak clearly mm-hmm. the other thing which i think is a good thing you know uh, i don't think that we should care much about who yeah. governs the united states yeah. i think that um we have realized through the Arab Spring that we can bring change by mm. ourselves, with our own mm. means. And if, um, if we manage to get the world just to uh, not interfere, not interfere, um, uh, things will radically change. It's the only, by the way, the West is what props up these regimes in the Arab world. That is alone because mm-hmm. none of them have the local legitimacy. None of them has been brought by a local election. None of them have a wave of public support. All they have is that they are supported by America or by Britain or by France or by whoever. That's the only thing that they stand by. So if they lose that support and people rise in order to gain self determination, they have mm-hmm. no chance whatsoever.
1: Yeah. Um, I just want to ask you one final question because I'm wary of time and, uh, just kind of wrapping everything up. Uh, what do you think is the future now, not just for the Arab spring, but, uh, um, the, the, Islamic spring, you know, the, the, Muslims across the world, um, in the political realm, bettering their representation, bettering their, um, their societies, increasing justice access to, you know, uh, these, these, these basic um, uh, dignities. What do you think that the, the next few years is going to bring?
2: Uh, I, uh, let me take uh, make two short points. The first mm. is um, maybe we struggle in uh, the Arab and the Islam court struggle for years, for decades for mm. uh, real change for uh, a better society, justice, democracy, uh, express, expressing the will of people, but we are always facing the these international power and the international order, which is uh, in our favor mm. at all. But let me say uh, say that uh, in the last few years, we can see a shifting of power, and uh, we uh, not say, we are not uh, now uh, about the uh, U.S rule the police of the world, and uh, they can rule and do whatever they want. I think this is a point that we can exploit and profit from, to uh, push for real change and real uh, improvement in our uh, life. The second one is uh, when, and this is I learned from the pandemic, coronavirus pandemic, Uh, I think uh, in some uh, moment in history, when uh, the will of people uh, face a real obstacle thing that uh, prevent any change, uh, pandemic, uh, uh, natural causes, major natural causes can play a role in uh, shaking this uh, equation towards a new um, spectrum, and I can see that very well today, and uh, what we are about to see with the uh, this pandemic is something very, very um, uh, crucial to monitor, because it's mm. uh, very interesting, and uh, it will have a great impact, uh, not only on the Arab world, but in the world, and uh, we can
0: benefit actually from that. Mm. Uh, taking from that, I'm 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 extremely optimistic, despite probably events, uh, you know, disproving me time and time again. <laughs> but I'm extremely optimistic. I think that the generation, the emerging emerging generation, of young uh, men and women um, is uh, very in tune, uh, very capable. Um, has mastered the means of communicating with each other, of exchanging ideas. I believe that they've seen. I mean. I I recall up until the Arab Spring, I recall teaching and being taught before that how seismic events in history would take place once every 30, 40 years probably. But since then, actually every year we have a (laughs) seismic, uh, probably life-changing event that's taking place. What's happening is according to the to the famous saying that there are centuries that go by and nothing happens and then there are days that happen where centuries it's like waiting for a bus we are in the midst of this and therefore this generation has seen so much Mm. on every single level economic political strategic on every single level so and, and i think that we are approaching a time when government's hold is waning probably right now in favour for multinational companies and international, you know, and the such. But Mm. but still, it's a good shift and it's a good change. But, you know, before that, after that, during that, I take my lead from what Jalal has just said. We are in the hands of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And nothing can be, you know, of a better scenario for us. This is ultimately, you know, what gives us hope. You watch the news and you almost despair. But then you recall that everything is controlled by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful, the most compassionate. We're good. We're good. And inshallah, things will happen in our lifetimes. I'm not talking about in 50, 100 years' time. In our lifetimes. Inshallah, yeah, inshallah Salman will come back, have another podcast and talk about the great successes. Of, uh, the
1: third and fourth of wave
0: of humanity. Inshallah. Yes, Indeed. <laughs>
1: MashaAllah. Zakma brothers, uh Ustaz Jalal Wirji and Dr. Anasat takriti very grateful you guys could join us. Uh Khairan for joining us. As salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatum. Alaikum And Zakma for you for watching at home. Uh, if you like this podcast, as usual, give a like and a share. Remember to click the subscribe button and hit the bell notification as well so you're at the front of the queue for any new uh, content that we upload, and don't forget again please, let's try and get uh, as many people as possible to donate £5 a month to help keep sound 21st growing, inshallah it's only 16p a day the link's in the description uh, until next time, I've been your host Salman zakum Razaakumullah khairan, rahmatullahi warahmatullahi wabarakatuh <laughs>